few weeks, we're going to be getting our summer psalms, which is uh, what we've been working through uh, each summer since we've begun. But for the next two weeks, this week and next week, our two standalone sermons. Uh, the first, or next week rather, is going to be one on uh, the Christian life and rest. Uh, it's actually a sermon idea I've been wanting to write or prepare for a very long time. excited to actually uh, get to work on it this week and preach it to you next week. And uh, this week, though, we're going to be in Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter is Romans 8, isn't it? Uh, verses 12 through 17. And so we're in the book of Romans. You've got to understand that in the book of Romans up to this point, God has revealed in great, great detail that the forgiveness of sin, redemption, uh, has not come through the law, but has come through Christ. And that in Christ, we're dead to, uh, we are dead to sin and alive to God. And he's making this point over and over. And Paul says it is, it's no longer that we are slaves to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness. Uh, and so then chapter 8 is this, this great contrast between uh, life lived in the flesh uh, apart from faith with the other part of this contrast, the life of the Christian lived in the Spirit. And so we're going to be looking at chapter, or verse 13 as our main text, uh, but we're going to be reading beginning in Romans 8, chapter, or verse 12. So follow along with me. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be also glorified with him. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. God, you have said that we exist for your glory. You have commanded us to glorify you in our eating and in our drinking and really in our everything. Please grant that uh, what you have commanded so that our lives would bring glory to your name. And be our hope and our comfort when we fail to obey. But please teach us to keep pursuing life in the Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first and foremost, we need to know as Christians, we need to know that Christ has already defeated sin in the believer. Verse 13, which we just read again, says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This, this is really a, a combination of, of two very simple if-then statements. If A is true, then B will happen. And so you, here you, what you have is if A, you live according to the flesh, uh, then B, you will die. And the second one, if-then uh, if statement is if A, by the Spirit, you kill the deeds of the flesh, then B, you will live. So let me ask you a question that I think arises from this passage real quick. Does verse 13 of Romans 8 imply that as Christians we can lose our salvation? Does it? Because I know that more often than I wish was true, and I imagine it's true for you too, that, that we do live according to the flesh. That we find ourselves in sin. So now I, I hope that you already know the answer to this. 
that it's so cemented in your understanding that you already know that, that no, this does not imply that we can lose our salvation. In fact, 17 verses later is that great statement where God says, uh, where it is God who works salvation from beginning to end, Romans 8.30, which says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Each of those steps is being accomplished by God. God predestines, God calls, God justifies, God glorifies. And so let me be clear, you do not begin the work of salvation in your life, and you do not add to the work of salvation in your life. It it is by grace, through faith, not a result of works. And I remind you of this, I remind us of this, so that you understand that Paul, who is the author of Romans, the book we're looking at, the passage we're looking at, uh, is speaking to those who are in Christ. It's not a mixed group here. It's not unbelievers he's speaking to, but those who are in Christ. That's why he addresses them there in verse 12 as brothers. Okay, so it's important for us to understand also the place of commandments in Scripture. They're there. Sometimes you might wonder, what are they they there for? See, when, when God brings us to believe the gospel, to believe that Jesus, in fact, did die on the cross for our sin, uh, then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. That's a very real thing. And so, is your faith in Christ today? That's a question to ask. Because if you are, if your faith is in Christ today, then you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not something that's going to happen later on. You are filled with the Holy Spirit today. The, the problem with the Spirit, though, at least humanly speaking, is, is we can't really see the presence of the Spirit in this room. None of you could stand up and just point, like, he has the Spirit, she has the Spirit. You couldn't do that. It's absolutely impossible. It's, it's, it's kind of like, like air, you know? You can't really see the air in this room. It, it's invisible, but, but you can see the evidence of air in this room, right? You, you can see the, the wind kind of blowing if uh, things around, a, a paper, a, a bulletin maybe blowing if you see the wind kind of move. Um, if you were to blow up a balloon, you wouldn't be able to see the air, but you would see the evidence of the balloon as you watch it expand. Now, those who are redeemed by Christ will show evidence that the Holy Spirit indeed does dwell in them. One, one such evidence we see here in our passage today is, is the putting to death of the deeds of the flesh. Meaning this, this fight against sin in your life, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit indeed dwells in you. The fight against that. And, and our text today is essentially this, this command to Christians to be killing sin in their life. It, it, it's not a requirement to receive forgiveness, but evidence that we have indeed already received forgiveness. And so in a sense, it's this, it's this call that Paul has to this, you know, to this love-hate relationship that we are supposed to have. I, it's a call to love God with all your heart, and it's a call for you to hate sin with all your being. That's, that's what he's getting at. And so I'll be clear from the start this morning that, that my goal this morning is to show you that God hates sin and to stir us all up to also hate sin in our lives. So imagine, uh, if you will, that a, a man, you're sitting at home, and a man just busts through your front door, and, and he attacks you and your family. What do you do? Is there some response to, to, to jump in there and attack him back? I, I imagine you would use whatever you have. If you have guns, you'd use guns. If you have baseball bats, baseball bats, or shovels, or lamps, or, or wooden spoons, or jars of Nutella, anything you can get your hands on, you would probably use to fight this guy off. Anything, right? That's, 
kind of the way these things work. We protect ourselves. We would want to protect our family and from whatever it is that comes to kill them. So, so why then do we tolerate sin in our lives? Meaning sin is, is, is like a, a man with a knife that just wanders in your front door one day and goes and sits in the corner and just sits there sharpening his knife. You know, it, it's there. It, you, you know what his intentions are. You're not just going to look over at him and think, well, maybe he'll wander off. Maybe he doesn't mean anything negative here. Maybe, he's, maybe he means good things. He's going to chop our vegetables. I don't know. I mean, you know there's something wrong. That guy doesn't need to be standing there. You know, and that's the way we need to view sin, that sin comes into your life and wants to kill you. And God has called you, Christian, to be killing sin. Yes, God does it, and yes, you're called to do it. Let me explain this to you. You remember the story, most of you do, uh, David and Goliath, right? He, uh, David goes out and he takes him down with that one stone, uses his own sword to chop off his head. Did, did David kill Goliath? Yeah. Well, did God kill Goliath? Yeah. I mean, they, that's what's happening here. You know, Christian, you are called to fight sin in your life, right? Yes, yes you are. Did, did Jesus already defeat sin on the cross for you? Yes. Is, is it God who will defeat sin in your life as you fight? Yes. You know... Listen to the word of God here. It says that we are to fight sin in so many different ways. In Matthew 18, 9, it says this. Uh, this is Christ speaking. He says, And if, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, that's just telling you just how serious this, this sin is to be dealt with. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 tells us this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Colossians 3, 5 through 6, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I'll give you one more. Titus 2, uh, 11 through 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There are so many passages in Scripture like this where God is calling his people not to sit passively, but to actively uh, battle against sin in their lives. And, and I expect you, like me, have sin in your life that you need to be fighting. Maybe it's pride, you know, you can't admit wrong. You're, you're angry when challenged. You tear others down in order to, to build yourself up. Maybe it's something like vanity. You know, you, you, you want people to love you, to be impressed by you, to, to find you beautiful or wonderful or talented. You're caring so much about what people think of you and so little about what people think of God. It, it could be any of these things. You know, this is the question that you kind of need to be asking yourself right now. What, what is a sin in my life, a deeply seated sin that is seeking to kill me? Maybe it's addiction to something or self-righteousness or, or discontentment or a general dishonesty in the way you interact with people or bitterness or greed or pornography or other sexual sin or gossip, materialism. Maybe it's just apathy. You just don't care. This list goes on and, and on. It could. Christian, you've been set free from sin by the blood of Christ. And so you can and you should be fighting sin in your life. So, so really my, my point then is, is this. Every Christian, not just crazy zealous Christians, every Christian, right? Not just pastors or elders, but every Christian should be daily at war with sin in their life. 
Jerry Bridges had this to say. He said, No believer, regardless of how spiritually mature he or she may be, ever gets beyond the need to mortify, that means kill, to mortify the sinful deeds of the body. Not merely to contain, but to kill sin at the root. And not by our own power, but by the power of the cross of Christ. And so do you understand then that, that sin is indeed your enemy? And not just your enemy, but, but God's enemy. Do, do you know how the enemy works then? And, and let me give you a picture of this. You know, that, that stupid weeds is the name of this, this, this sermon. And, and, and the reason is um, that there's this beautiful image. I see you giggling. I said weed. Weeds, plural, right? We know what that is. Um, I said weeds. Uh, when we moved into our house then, let me tell you the story. When we moved into our house... We, we had hardly any grass. It was mostly dirt. It was terrible. And so we had to have it all kind of reseeded in order that we could grow grass. And we did that thing where you plant the seeds, and then you water it, and you water it, and you water it just endlessly. Uh, and, and the grass grew. And the thing that was really disappointing was not only did grass grow, but so did these dandelions popping up. This is the time of year you can drive around and just see endless dandelions everywhere. And, and it was incredibly frustrating to see this. And so, um, you know, in that frustration, we just declared war on these weeds. Laura goes to Home Depot and gets bags of this weed and feed. and No, not weed feed. Whatever it is that kills weeds. Uh, and we found ourselves beginning to pull them up every time we went into the yard. You know, pluck that yellow flower as quick as you can. And it didn't take long for us to realize this, this strange thing that, you know, we, we hate weeds absolutely hate them and and there's this connection between sin and weeds that that started to grow in my mind and you start to see this analogy i began to wonder why, why don't i hate sin as much as i hate the weeds growing in my yard something's wrong with that and, and this connection between sin and weeds goes goes even deeper than you think you, you remember in the garden the garden of eden uh the, the adam and eve are there and 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 adam sends and God lists the consequences for the serpent, and he lists the consequences for Eve. And then he talks to Adam, and, and, and he lists them there. Genesis 3.17, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Sin enters the world and weeds right off the bat. Um, Weeds right off the bat. It's going to produce weeds for Adam. It's, it's all actually just really kind of crazy how similar weeds in a garden are to sin in our lives. Consider this. A few things here. First, weeds like sin produce no fruit. They don't. Um, none of you have any, any weeds on your grocery shopping list, right? You're not going to go into Dillon's or Hy-Vee this week uh, and go into the produce section and find some weeds there. Uh, and, and the reason is that, that nothing comes from that, right? There, there's nothing they sell there that is because... Weeds are not food. They do not nourish. Neither does sin. Secondly, not only do, do weeds not produce fruit, but they actually choke out good fruit-producing plants. Like, uh, like weeds, weeds, sin chokes out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Sin, sin attacks us, right? Uh, right down to the root. And our, our joy of God and God's good gifts in our lives, they, they get choked out. And so when we find ourselves using our time in, in pursuit of lust or pursuit of greed or, or any other sin that we're, we're actively in this pursuit of, we, we lessen our pursuit of loving God. We lessen that pursuit of loving our, our, our neighbors in the way that God calls us to. Here, here's what I mean. Um, you, you have this question, do, do, you want, do you want more of Christ in the daily experience of your life? Do you want to think more of Christ? Do you want to think more like Christ? 
See, because if you already have faith in Christ, if that's who you are, then, then killing weeds uh, in your life is a very important way to, to re recalibrate back to that regard. The, the third way that weeds are like sin is that there, there's no weed or no need. I keep saying that, don't I? Um, there is no need to nurture weeds. They just show up. You know, nobody plants weeds. You just, you just don't. You don't go to the store and be like, where are the packets of crabgrass and dandelion seed? Nobody does that. Uh, you know, and then I'm going to go back and plant this and really work hard, see if I can grow weeds. It might be amazing. Um, but you do have to do work to work at fruit-producing plants. You water them. You protect them from insects. You, you make sure that they're getting enough sunlight on them. You pull weeds that are around them. In the same way, our life in Christ must be nurtured. We, we listen to God in his word. We, we speak to God through prayer. We, we meet together to worship God. We partake in the Lord's Supper for nourishment. We, we interact in small groups for encouragement. That all takes some effort in your life. And yet, we, we don't actively have to nurture sin in our lives. Just like weeds are, in, are na natural in nature, sin is our natural state. All you have to do is stop fighting sin, right? And voila, there it is sprouting up in your life. Fourth, the faster you catch weeds, the easier they are to kill. If you see weeds when they are, they are baby weeds, they are easy, right? Because they have small roots. You can pull them right out, the entire thing, and be, be done with that. In the book of James, we, we see this idea of a, a desire for sin actually growing into sin and, and ultimately resulting in death. James 1.15 says... Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The faster that we recognize sin in our life, the easier it is to kill. In other words, don't let sins become besetting sins in your life. Kill them as quickly as you can. Uh, fifth, weeds reproduce very quickly, and if you neglect them, they soon become absolutely overwhelming. Again, consider dandelions. If you, if you get to them early when they're just flowers, you can actually destroy them. But if you think, you know what, I'll, I'll deal with them later, um, in what is it, 24 hours? They suddenly turn into these launch pads for, for weeds to grow all over the place, literally flying weed seeds that go throughout y your yard and your neighborhood. Um, sin's like that. One, one sin absolutely will lead to another. You can think of a billion examples, but, you know, you, you covet something, right? Uh, a little bit, so you steal it, so we cover it up, and, and, and you have to lie to cover it up, and one sin becomes many. Now, next thing we know, one little act of unrepentant sin has, has spread throughout our life in a way that we never imagined was going to be possible. Six, some weeds disappear or, or appear very lovely, and we like them. Some even produce these pretty flowers. You may even want to keep them growing in your garden because they're beautiful. I like them. Dandelions again, right? They can be really fun. They, you know, they're, they're wonderful. I, I myself, when I'm in someone else's yard, love to pick them and blow them. <laughs> but, <laughs> and it's that little bit of satisfaction, right? Like, I don't know what just happened, but it was wonderful, you know? But, but it, isn't that kind of the way sin is in our life? Like, there's one little moment of this, this great kind of joy and pleasure, and, you know, it, it's one little moment of enjoyment, but what have I done here? I'm spreading weeds. <laughs> but it doesn't last, right? It's a, it's a lie. It's, it's long-term destructive, and I know that. It, it kills your grass. Um, see, I'm casting. Your yard's going to have a lot of weeds. We happened to blow a lot of those the other day. Um, 
This is going to kill the things you are trying to cultivate in your life, though. That's, that's the point here. Seven, weeds only seem painful if you're fighting them. It's a weird concept, you know? It, it, it's, it's more effort to fight weeds than to just let them grow. You can sit back and just let them do it. Like, it's not real hard to garden, right? I, I mean, I think it's very much our experience with sin in our lives. We, we don't even consider how hard it is to fight sin sometimes because we're not really fighting it. We're just letting it linger there again, you know, in the corner with the knife. There, there's some of you, I know, that you, you have these vegetable gardens, and, and you have the good dirt, dirt, and you plant it, and you got your tomatoes and your zucchinis and all that stuff in there, uh, and you work hard to protect it, and gardening is kind of tough. You start to wonder, should I just go to City Market and buy stuff? Because this is a lot of work. Um, you know, you're seeing a bug, and you're, you're poisoning it. You're seeing uh, weeds, and you're pulling them out. Maybe you put a wall around the garden to protect it from rabbits. We, uh, you know, you deal with these things. It's hard work because you're actually engaged in the battle. Others of you, maybe at some point in your life, you plant a garden, and you think, wow, this is going to be wonderful. But then you find it's really hot here. I don't want to go out there. Uh, maybe you get too busy to really take care of it. Um, and, and you find that, you know, the weeds are overgrowing it. And it's the idea, though, is gardening's not real hard because you're not really involved in it. You're not out there pulling weeds. It's not a difficult thing because you're, you're not actually doing it. And, and it might be the same way with, with sin in our life. You, you know what it is. There's no doubt in your mind, yeah, this is a sin in my life. But, but, but it's not difficult to deal with because, well, you're not dealing with it. And that leads us to the next point. Next point, Eight, pulling weeds reveals more weeds. This is one of those strange experiences of the Christian life and also in gardening. You know, when you, when you finally to go decide to, to, to kill the weeds and, and you start pulling them out of the ground, you're getting these big, huge weeds. And, and the first thing you notice as these big weeds get out of the way is, oh, there's a bunch of little weeds here too. Uh, weeds you didn't even realize were there before. But once you do rem- remember them, you notice them. Um, when we engage in fighting sin and when God has victory in our lives over sin, we suddenly become more aware of other sin in our life. And many of you who've had some victory over some difficult sins in your life, you know this. You suddenly realize the smaller sins that you've been fighting or not fighting. That's out now you need to. This, you know, this is why people in history who have fought most violently against sin in their life have always become more aware of just how sinful they are. And thus more aware of how truly amazing the grace of God and salvation is. Nine, sin, just like weeds, are easiest to pull after a storm. You know, we we had that storm recently, but uh, after a storm, it's rained down on your garden, and suddenly the, the, the ground is soft. It's easy to go out there and pull a weed out by the roots. The whole thing will slide right out because they're so loosely gripped to the soil at that point. Uh, I know we don't often like suffering in our lives. Not often. We never like suffering in our lives uh, or pain of any sort. Storms are difficult. Sickness and, uh, you know, and death and heartbreak and all the other forms of suffering are absolutely miserable. And yet it's in those times that fighting sin becomes easiest. Our, our hearts are softened as we see clearly the value of Christ above everything else. And, and the fight to kill sin is easier because suddenly its grip on us has been greatly loosened. The last similarity is this. We, we must kill sin at the root. Uh, roots are longer than the stem. They go down into the ground. They, they spread out. And if you don't get rid of the root of a weed and also the, the root of sin, it's going to come right back. Um, 
again with the dandelions in town. If you're driving around, I don't know if you've noticed, you'll see a yard that just whoosh, crazy dandelions and someone comes through and mows it and it actually looks pretty decent, right? Like, that's a good looking yard. Look at that yard. Um, and that's the way it is, you know. We can deal with sin in that little way. Just chop it off at the top so we can look good for each other, uh, so we can impress our neighbors. But, but, but that's why we're not called to, to, to wound sin. We're called to to mortify sin, to actually kill it, to get rid of it, right? To remove it so that it's not going to grow back. And so going to the root of sin means that, that mere rules that we might set up for ourselves, while very helpful in the process, it is not the long-term solution as we battle against sin. And so God in, in Romans 8.13 then here is, is calling us to kill sin by the Spirit. Um, he says, For it is, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. Let me ask you this. If, if you've not already, will you resolve today to, to begin war on sin in your life? But particularly the ones that, that you know have been lingering there in your life. The ones that are sitting in the corner sharpening their knife that you just don't want to deal with. Not, not because I so, say so, but because you, you see God's word says so. Will you look to God to win the battle as you fight against this sin in your life? Will you, will you stop believing this lie that sin has anything good to offer you at all? Now, now to be fair, at this point, it's fair for you to ask me, um, how do we do that? How, how do we go about declaring war and it being anything more than it's just declaring war on sin? How do I fight sin in my life in a way that hangs on the gospel and not, not self-will, not some super self-motivation in this moment? So there's a couple of things you need to know. First, that weapons, uh, know your weapon and how to use it. Weapons are always useful in war. Uh, I know you in the army, you never would want to go into a combat situation without a weapon of some sort. Uh, I know because the chaplains tell me they don't like doing that. Uh, <laughs> When, when we go out to, to, to kill weeds in the garden, we, we might take a shovel or gloves or poison or any other weapon with us. And then um, in Ephesians six thirteen through 17, God paints this picture of the Christian going uh, to war against the enemy. He says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand uh, in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, put on the, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And then that one it defines for us, which is the word of God. Only one of those is an offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit, defined as the Word of God. In our text today, we are told to put, de uh, put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And now in Ephesians 6, we, we, we see that we have been given this weapon, a sword, the sword of the Spirit. Uh, and swords are not intended to wound, right? Swords are intended for killing, for slaying. In the, in the New and the Old Testament, in fact, uh, 419 times the word sword shows up. And, and almost exclusively, it is in reference to someone being killed or, or in someone who is threatening to be killed. 
And in Genesis 34, 26, we read, They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the sword. In 1 Kings 19, 1, we read, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And it could go on and on. That's kind of the way they're used. It's, it's just these quick little references. But uh, I'll give you just more, one more. You remember when, when Judas shows up in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, and to portray Jesus. And, and Peter so you know, zealously wants to defend Jesus, and he ends up using his sword, and he cuts off the ear of a soldier in this, in this process. Peter wasn't Zorro, right? This wasn't a warning shot that Peter was, was, was firing. He, he cut off his ear because Peter missed. Peter absolutely intended to kill this man to protect Jesus. And, and what I want you to see from this, and all this actually, is that, that swords are intended for killing. And so as we battle and we fight sin in our lives, we must use the weapon that God has given us. His word. Christ defeated sin on the cross, and now we daily fight the effects of sin by the word of God. Here's what I mean by that. The power of sin is, is that it tells a pretty convincing lie. Right? Let's just be honest. It's really convincing or it's not going to work real well. Uh, you know, the idea here is that whatever sin that you desire to do, uh, the lie that it is telling you is that it is more desirable, more pleasurable, more to be sought after than anything else that God might have for you. You see, the reason that lust and, and the reason that gossip uh, it is the same. They, they, they have the same reason behind them, even if they're very different sins. They, they, they believe the lie that lust or gossip will bring satisfaction or joy or importance or pleasure of some sort. And, and, and really, it might. It really might for a very short time. That's why it becomes such a convincing lie. But it will not, it cannot bring the lasting fulfillment that is found in God alone. At the same time, that we believe the lie of sin, we're also believing, we're also not believing, rather, the promise that God is more satisfying. The other side of the same coin. The, the word of God, on the other hand, is absolute truth. When we, when we wield the sword of the Spirit like this, then, when, when, when we are in the word of God, we are becoming more aware of God and the things of God. We become more aware of the fact that, that Christ has indeed really defeated sin. We become more aware of the fact that Christ has indeed freed us from the power of sin. These are realities. We become more aware of the truth that we belong to Christ, belong to Him. We, we become more aware of, of what our Heavenly Father desires our life to be like, to be lived and the more that we truly know God, the more we will grow in our love for God. And when we are satisfied in God, then the false lies of sin suddenly lose all their power. Right? I mean, it's like that with anything. I, I know, you think of a food you can't stand. I know Tim's not here today, but he, he has this Marmite that he wants everyone to try all the time. It's the grossest thing I've ever tried in my life. And, and the knowledge that that won't bring me any satisfaction makes it so much easier to be like, nope, I'm out. I don't want any. None. You know, that uh, that's the truth of it. Um, and it only works for me. If you like Marmite, I know that illustration doesn't work. But um, that's kind of the way it is. You suddenly lose this, this desire for sin because, you know, I know it's promising me some pleasure, some joy, some satisfaction that I, I think it's going to give, but I know it won't. I know my satisfaction's in God. This is what the psalmist in, in Psalm 119.11 is expressing when he writes, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And he's saying that to God. He stored up his word in his heart because just like a sword must be in your hand to use it, we must be in the word of God. We must have it in our lives if it's going to be useful in any battle that we have. 
And so to use our examples of lust and gossip, we, we might fight those sins with the, the sword of the Spirit, you know, more specifically by, by memorizing or becoming very familiar with Scripture, uh, what it has to say about those subjects. You know, if gossip's an issue in your, you know, growing in your garden as a sin, then Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. Something like that that you, 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 you feed into your life. Or if lust is knocking down your door constantly, you fight with the words of 1 Thessalonians 4.3-5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's what God desires for you, Right? That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. See, God's word is filled with warnings and encouragement for the Christian who is engaged in this battle. And so use it. Read it. Meditate on it. Study it. Soak it in. Memorize it. Pray through it. Believe it. Believe it. Believe everything it says about the evils of sin. Believe everything it says about the beauty of Christ. Believe everything it says that Christ has accomplished for you. We, we also need to know that we cannot defeat sin in our own power. It can only be done, as our passage says, by the Spirit. That phrase, by the Spirit, tells us that this is indeed a work of God. That this passage in Romans 8.13 also says, You put to death sin. This tells us that we must be engaged in the battle. You can't just sit back passively. It's as John Murray has said, the, the believer's once for all death to the law of sin does not free him from the necessity of mortifying sin and its members. It makes it necessary and possible for him to do so. Now, now lest you get the, the wrong idea, there's no one in this room who doesn't struggle with sin. You've got to know that. You're not alone in this. I, I sin, you sin, the person next to you sins. Uh, if you're fighting sin, don't be discouraged by failure. And I really mean that. You see, people sometimes will come to me with some, some battling some sin that just seems to have sunk in their life, and they keep failing. They keep battling and failing, battling and failing, and they're frustrated, and I feel for them. I feel their frustration, and I want to help them, but I'm not worried about their spiritual condition. I'm not worried because the fighting that they're engaged in is a sign of life. See, that means that they, they own up to their sin. They are repenting of that sin, and repentance is a distinguishing mark of faith in someone's life. No, my, my real concern is for the person who doesn't care about their sin. That even if you were to show it to them, they're like, so what? I mean, everyone does, you know? To, to apathetically just presume upon grace. And, and they worry me because, because dead people don't fight. They just don't. One last thing I, I want to show you. If you've still got your Bibles open in Romans 8, look back at verses 1 and 2 of that chapter. I, I want you to see this because sometimes we, we mistake freedom from sin with bondage to works. Romans 8, 1 and 2 reads this. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation... For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Our fight against sin is from the position of already forgiven. The assumption is that because of the redemption accomplished by Jesus Christ in you, that you will then desire to not sin, that you will desire to grow close to God, to Christ. That, that as verse 7 says, you will wish to submit to God's law. 
not disregarded. And, and so, brothers and sisters, I, I tell you this, you know, relax on some level. Relax in the sense that because if your faith is in Christ, there is no condemnation. And so fight sin with all your might. Fight sin with all your might, but rest, rest in Christ. Because even when you fail, and this is where it becomes a powerful thing, right? You can risk this, you can fight, because even when you fail, you can rest in the fact that your sin is, has also been eternally paid for by our Savior. And so don't give up. Go on repenting. Go on with the fight against sin in your life. And let me just close with these well-known words of the Puritan uh, John Owen. These I, I've written, and I know I have a lot of Bibles that I switched through, but I've written them in most of them right at the very beginning. It says this, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Let's pray. Father, may your word and your spirit change us. May we go out of this building today having worshipped you who are. May we go out of here, though, with a great hate for sin in our lives. May we go from here prepared to battle sin in our lives. May we go not with our own power, but with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, truly working in us for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.